encourage you to open a Bible to John chapter 19, turn on a Bible lap, whichever one you're comfortable with, but let's get to John chapter 19. We're looking at verses 17 through 36 today. You know, we don't see this in movies very often today, but in older movies, you would watch the movie comes to the conclusion, and for some reason back in the day, they felt it was necessary to put two words at the end of the movie. Do you know what those two words are? The end. Like, you got to the end of the movie, and you're like, why why is it finished? Well, they had to tell you, the end. So that way you would, it's time to leave the movie theater. The end. Well, that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the end of Jesus' life. We're looking at the end of his mission we're looking at the end of what Jesus came to do and accomplish on earth. We're looking at the end of his earthly life, the end. And uh, we've been in the book of John for a long time, and, and now we have, ha- have seen the life of Jesus and his interaction with people and his announcing to people, here's why I've come. I've come to seek and save the lost, and we've seen him live. We've seen him do miracles. Now we've come to that point where... He's been arrested, he's been beaten, he's he's been judged, he's been on trial, and now he has been sentenced to death. And, and, And we're at the crucifixion, we're at his final moments, the end of his life. Now here's the thing, I said this last week, do you remember what I said? What's an enemy of the Bible? What's one enemy of the Bible? Do you remember what I said? Familiarity, okay? We, we, as Christians, every Easter, this is what we talk about, okay? Every Good Friday, every Easter service, it's all about the, the cross and the resurrection, and, and, and it can become familiar, okay? We can kind of have an attitude of like, oh, man, I know this story. Why, why do we, let's just, let's just, but the problem with familiarity is it keeps us from really looking at it again. I mean, Outside of us just reading, studying John, when was the last time that you just read about the crucifixion? Probably Easter time. We just don't read it. Why? Because we know it. All right? Well, today I want to look at this very familiar text, very familiar story about the crucifixion. But here's what I want to look at. I want to look at the end of Jesus' life and what it did. That we just don't look at it. I I don't want to just regurgitate the text. I don't want to just rehash it. I just don't want to just buzz through it. I I looked at this, and I kept seeing chunks, and I'm like, there's something beyond just looking at just the text. And what I saw was, here's the end of Jesus's life, and it did some things. Today, I want to look at seven things that the end of Jesus's life did, all right? Now, before I give you point number one, don't put point number one up yet, Cody. Leave it blank for me. I need you to do me a favor. Keep your finger here in John, but I also need you to turn to Luke chapter 23 because we're going to be reading that in a few seconds. But here in in John chapter 19, and then we're going to see in Luke 23, but just keep your finger in Luke 23, but come back to John 19. I know that may sound confusing, but just keep your finger in in Luke 23. But we're going to be reading now in John 19. So in John 19, starting with verse 16, right at the end, 
It says they delivered him over to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross. Now, bearing his own cross, I, I think Hollywood depicts it as him carrying the entire thing. Usually that wasn't the case. It was usually the, the criminal, who, because it was only criminals that were crucified by Rome. They would carry the, 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 the cross beam, okay? They would tie it, their hands to it, and they would just carry the cross beam. And, and they would carry the cross beam to where they'd be crucified. And the, 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 the main pole would be already on the ground. They would take the cross beam, nail it together, then put the criminal on the cross, nail his hands and his feet, and then they would lift the whole thing up and put it in a hole. Okay? So when it says that he carried his own cross, he's carrying the cross beam. And so we do know that due to the lack of... Remember when I described what flogging was like last week? that Jesus would have been at a point where he was near death already. A lot of blood loss. He would have been very dehydrated, very weak. And so we know that as they were moving to the place of where they would crucify him, he got to a point, probably because he was stumbling too much, got to a point where he was in his weakened state, could not carry that crossbeam anymore. So the Roman soldiers pulled this dude out of the crowd named Simon, and he was from a place called Cyrene. And they just pulled Simon out of the crowd and forced him to carry the crossbeam. All right. And the reason why is probably because Jesus, like, you get yourself in this thing, okay? The reason why they probably pulled him out of the crowd was it was taking too long to get to the place. And the Roman soldiers were probably getting frustrated of seeing this guy fall down, have to pick him up, take three steps, fall down, pick him up. They finally probably just got frustrated enough. They're like, forget this. Grab somebody. You do this. And let's move. They wanted to get to the crucifixion site. So Jesus is carrying his own cross now. And notice it says, and they, they, he carried it to the place called the, the place of the skull. Scholars believe that the, the, the reason why they probably called the place of the skull is that the mountain range probably looked like a skull. Now, because of erosion and everything over thousands of years, it's no longer there. But they believe that's probably why they call it the skull. So they go to this place called the, the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Now, Aramaic is a dialect of the Hebrew language. And, and so it, it, it was in Hebrew called Golgotha. Now, here's where I want to teach you. Let's have a little Bible lesson outside of our Bible lesson, okay? All good with the Bible lesson? How many of you know that just because we think something sounds biblical, it may not be necessarily biblical? For example, God helps those who help themselves. I mean, that's quoted everywhere. Sounds right. Sounds biblical. But how many of you know it's what? Not biblical. All right? Okay, now, here I just read that they went to the place called the skull in Aramaic called Golgotha. Flip to Luke chapter 23. Now, let me read Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 33. I'm going to start with verse 32. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. 
So there it is again, the skull. Now, some of you may be looking at me going, yeah, so. Who of you has a King James or a New King James Bible? Raise your hands. Read what you have. When they came to the place called Calvary. Does anybody else's Bible have the word Calvary? What version do you have? Do you know? It's probably New King James or something. Because I went through every other version. Paula, find it if you can find it. Okay, King James. King James and New King James are the only English versions with the word Calvary. Okay. Now we hear the word Calvary a lot. Churches are called Calvary, Calvary Chapel, Calvary Church, whatever. We sing a lot of songs with the word Calvary in it. All right. There's a lot of old hymns. You know, there, there was a hill called Calvary. Okay. Now, why is it that only the King James and New King James and no other English Bible has the word Calvary there? Anybody think? Let me tell you. Because it's not there. And here's what I mean. Remember, our English Bibles are translated from manuscripts. Hebrew or Greek manuscripts. We get our Old Testament English versions from Hebrew manuscripts. We get our New Testament from Greek manuscripts. Okay, So when the, when the apostles wrote the scriptures originally... Those were transcribed into other manuscripts. We do not have the original manuscripts that the, the, the authors wrote. We have very old, old, old manuscripts dated somewhere around 50 to 60 AD. Okay, Putting that in the realm of when the disciples lived. So even though we don't have the originals, we have so many manuscripts that they agree with one another. There's no way you can say these are wrong, okay? There are thousands upon thousands of New Testament manuscripts. So when we translate our English Bibles, we translate it from these Greek texts. And what is and this is where it's called a word for word translation. Most of our a lot of some of our English I'm trying to explain this in a way. Some of our English translations are called paraphrases. The Message Bible, living, the Living Translation, Good News Translation, they're paraphrases, meaning they're thought for thought, not literal. Then you have word for word literal translations. The English version, the English Standard Version, the NIV, the New American Standard, the Revised Standard, some of the King James, but not all of it. So in the original, or in the Greek manuscripts, Luke 23 here does not say Calvary. It's skull. So when most Greek, trans, Greek manuscripts are translated into English, it translates Luke 23 as the skull. But why did the King James and the New King James translate it Calvary? Because they translated that from the Latin Vulgate. 
the Latin Vulgate was written in 358 AD by a dude by the name of Jerome who was commissioned by the Pope at that time. So Jerome, because you got to remember, the Pope, Rome, Latin was the Roman language. So Jerome took the Greek text, translated the Greek text into Latin. The Latin word for the Greek word, you all saying with me here? The Latin word is Calvaria. In Latin, Calvaria means skull. So when Jerome translated the Greek text into Latin, the Latin word is Calvaria, our English word for Calvary. So the King James and the New King James translated that, Luke 23, not from the Greek, but from the Latin. It's okay, but it's not word for word from the Greek. Okay? That's why the majority of all English Bibles don't have the word Calvary. And I just found that interesting that we use the word Calvary in so many things. But it's not there. It doesn't make it wrong to use it. Okay? It, it, it's still, you know, it's just translated into a different, it's just translated from a different language versus Greek, which is the original language of our Bibles. Okay? Does that make sense? Do you understand why I need Because even though it sounds biblical, it really isn't. I hope that makes sense. Okay? So that was a quick Bible lesson. Now let's get back into our text, why, where we're going here now. Okay, so Jesus gets to, the, to Golgotha, and it says there in the beginning of verse 8, they crucified him. Okay, now before I give the, give the, the point... What type of material was Jesus crucified on? Wood. A wooden cross. Okay, now I, I taught this a few a couple weeks ago, said this a couple times. Who wants to take a pop quiz? Anybody? No, not you. I already told you the answer. Nobody wants to take a pop quiz. Okay. You do, you do. Negative. Okay, so just if you if you can if you just want to shout the answer. Why was it necessary? Why is it so important that Jesus was crucified to a cross? What about it being a tree? The curse. Okay? They crucified him. It is the curse. So the one, the first thing that Jesus, the end of his life did, it was this. Here's the first point. The end of Jesus' life, and here's what it did. It declared the curse is broken. All right? It is so important for you to understand that Jesus died on a cross, a wooden cross, and no other means because the Bible says cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Now, again, why is that important? Why do you, you and I need to know this thing about the curse? Because back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed everything. And part of the curse is this sin thing. All right? You and I, apart from Christ, we are under a curse. All right? And, and the wages of that curse, the penalty, the cost of that curse is this. Eternal separation from God. 
All right? Your, and I've said this so many times, yours and mine, humanity's default place after death is not heaven. It is not with God. Our default place is away from God. It is hell. That is our default place. That's where every person goes apart from Christ. Why? Because that's the curse. The curse is sin. We are all sinners. Romans chapter 3 says that there is no one righteous in God's eyes. No one is right. No one does right. We are all sinners. And because we are all sinners, we are under a curse. And that curse is eternal death, eternal separation from God. But when Jesus' life ended on that tree, on that wooden cross, he became the curse. He took the curse of humanity upon himself and freed us. He became that curse and sin was placed on him. And when you and I come to faith in Christ and believe in him as Savior, the curse is already broken, but you've got to receive the, the medicine for it. And the medicine is Jesus Christ in my life. And when I receive him as Savior, that curse is done in my life, broken forever. The, the penalty of that curse is done. So when, if you know Christ as Savior, when you die physically, you don't die spiritually, but you live spiritually. Eternal life. That's the eternal life we've seen so many times in the book of John. All right, But without Christ, my sins haven't been forgiven. I, 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 I still have that, that curse on me. So if I die, as Jesus said in the book of John, I die in my sin and I'm separated from God because of the curse. The curse is broken, but I've got to receive the key for that broken curse. And the key is Christ. Jesus broke the curse. And it is broken for all time for everyone. You see, but the enemy, now here's where the enemy is so good. Even if you know Jesus as your Savior, the devil is so good at lying to us that he tries to convince us, yeah, you you, you may be saved, but you still have to prove yourself. We still think we have to do things to keep the curse broken, or, you know, to keep it broken. We, we, that's why people think, well, if I, 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 I'm saved, but I still need to do good things. I, I still need to work hard. I, I need to, if I, I got to get my gold star from church, I got to. No. If you know Christ as Savior, the curse is 100% broken in your life. Not for the first 10 years of your salvation, but for eternity. Christ broke that curse in your life when you know him by faith once for all. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change. You don't have to impress God. You don't have to prove yourself. The curse is broken. The end of Jesus' life broke the curse. And that's why you need to understand that. That's why, I mean, that's why every day you should be praying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that through you, that, sin, that, that curse is broken. We're still sinners. We're still wrapped in flesh. But the results of that sin has been broken. The consequences of the sin, broken. 
because Jesus became the curse. And when he died on that tree, it declared that that curse has been broken. Here's the second thing the end of life, Jesus' life did. It provided the gift of salvation. It broke the curse, but it also provided the gift of salvation. Look at chapter 19, verse 18. It says, there they crucified him, and with two others, one on one side and one on the other, and Jesus between them. And that's where John leaves it. He's just like, there we go. Well, here's the thing. Luke, in the book of Luke, describes it a little bit differently. All right? Now, understand, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the events of the crucifixion and stuff, you're going to get varying things. That doesn't make the Bible contradict itself, okay? It's like a car accident, okay? If you have four people observe a car accident, will all four people give exactly the same account? No. One police officer is going to talk to Joe Bagadonis over here and write down his testimony. And then this officer is going to talk to Sally, and she's going to say, and he's going to be like, wait a minute. You two are contradicting yourself. Joe, you're saying this, and Sally, you're saying this. No. They have two different accounts. Same thing, two different accounts. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John just says, hey, he was crucified between two thieves, that's it. But Luke goes, nah, here's what I saw. And Luke says he was crucified between two of them, but one thief was railing on Jesus. One thief was like, if you're the, the Christ, save yourself, man, come on. Oh, why save us too. He's ridiculing him. He's just lashing out on Jesus. But then Luke says, but the other thief like, turns to him like, dude, shut up. We deserve what we're getting. We're thieves, man. We've broken the law. We, 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 we tried to cheat the system. We're getting what we deserve. He's done nothing. And then that thief turns to Jesus, and Luke records that that guy says, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, will you remember me? And on the cross, Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm telling you today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, why is, why is that important to understand? Because that thief understood he, didn't des- he, he was getting what he deserved. Now, continue that on to through Jesus. Did he deserve to be forgiven by Jesus? No. Jesus could have looked at him and said, dude, sorry, man. You're getting what you deserve. You were a criminal your whole life. Look at what you did. You're you're, you're reaping the consequences. You've sowed that life. Now you're reaping it. Live with it. No, you don't get in. You don't get a. No, 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 no. Jesus came for guys like this. He came to seek and save the lost. He came for the unrighteous. He came for people who weren't good. He came for people who weren't too sexy for their shirt. He came for people who were messed up like a major soup sandwich. He came for people like this. So when this guy looks at Jesus, the reason why Jesus forgave him wasn't because this guy deserved anything. Jesus forgave him because he's putting his faith in Christ. He's like, Jesus, I, I'm, I don't know how this is all working, but when you get to your kingdom, will you? He's acknowledging who Jesus is. He's acknowledging, okay, I read that sign on your cross. You must be a king. So when you get to your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus is like, that's what it is. That's why you deserve it because you believe in me. And it's the same for you and me. Man, none of us deserve anything from God. 
You see, that's why the whole works mentality, when people are like, well, no, you can be good enough to get to God. You can go to church a lot. You just give to charities. You be kind. You be good. You just do your works. You know what? It's, it's, here's what's sad about that, is what we're saying is, I can prove myself worthy. I can prove that I deserve to be forgiven. No, we can't. Because it goes back to point number one. We're under a curse. We're all sinners. To the core of your being, you are a sinner. Yes, we may be, be able to do good deeds and do good things, but your sin overshadows that in God's eyes. And so because we are sinners, we deserve the penalty of our sin. But Psalm chapter 103, verse 10 says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's why grace is so amazing. Because grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve a second chance. We don't deserve to spend eternity with God in his kingdom. We deserve to be separated from him. Why? Because we're sinners. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to offer and to give this free gift called salvation. Free gift in him. Free gift through faith in him. His death on that cross, what he did, it provided the gift of salvation. When we can't get to God on ourselves, we get there through Christ. Here's a third thing that his death did, or his, in the, the end of his life did. It testified to the truth of his identity. The end of Jesus' life, it testified to the truth of his identity. Look at verse 19. It says that Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read the inscription for the place that, where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So Pilate makes this sign because where Jesus was crucified was like, like on a major thorough road, man. It was, it was close to the city. This is the time the Passover was happening. Thousands upon thousands of people are going into the city. So whenever they would pass by the cross, they would look up. You know, most of the people would jeer and, and, and ridicule people on the cross. But here's Jesus with a sign, and it's written in three languages. It's written in Aramaic, which is the dialect, the tongue of the Hebrews, the Jews, and it's written in, in Latin and in Greek for the Romans. So everybody passing by that cross is able to look up, and they're going to read, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And Pilate put it on there. Now, here's the thing I, I think about Pilate. We don't see this in Scripture, but I have to wonder. I don't believe that Pilate ever professed Christ as who he was. I, I think he still, I believe he was innocent. I, I believe he tried to get Jesus, but he, he gave into the crowd. But I think he wrestled inside. I think inside, he, 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 he came to the conclusion, this dude is who he says he is. He's got to be. Because why are these people so fired up about killing him? And he puts a placard on that cross to say, here's who he is. He is king of the Jews. But now look at verse 21. It says, this chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write that. Don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. 
Now, here's why that's important to understand. The, the, the chief priests and the religious leaders were like, listen, uh-uh, you can't write that. You've got to say, here's what he said. Meaning, they, wanted, they, they believed that the things that Jesus said was discredited anyway. They didn't believe what he said. They didn't believe in him. So they're like, you've got to put that he said this. Because if you say he is simply the king of the Jews, it's like a Roman stamp on that. And you're given Roman authorization to say he is who he was. And where he, they're like, no, 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 you can't say that. You've got to discredit him. But Pilate's like, nope. I'm saying what I'm saying, and I wrote what I wrote. Because I believe Pilate believed it inside. I believe he wrestled with it. And he wrote it down. And he wanted it to go declare to everybody, whoever passed by that cross, he wanted that to declare to anybody who read it the identity of who Jesus really was. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because you can't tell me as he sat there and had some dialogue dialogue with Jesus. And when Jesus is like, dude, you have no authority except what's given to you by God. If I wanted to, I could do so many things. My kingdom's not here. And that Pilate just did not, when it was all said and done, Pilate was like, I think he was. Make a placard that says this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's who he was. And Pilate put that up for everybody who passed by to see the real identity of who Jesus was. And Jesus is the same person today. He is still king. He is still Lord. And we need to understand that the king of kings and the Lord of lords is coming back. I wish I had time with everything going on in Israel right now. But you need to, I'm telling you, we need to be, as, as the scriptures say, when you start to see these signs, don't put your head down, but lift your head up. Why? Because your redemption is that it's, it's drawing near. That's why I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need him as Savior. Because one of these days, the, the, the rapture is going to happen. The church is going to be gone. And if you're left behind, it's hell on earth. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's who Jesus is. And at the end of his life declared that. And here's the fourth thing. At the end of Jesus' life, it fulfilled Old Testament scriptures. It fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. Look at verse 23. It says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless. The tunic would have been the, the undergarment under all the other garments. The tunic was one piece, of, one piece sewn from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it to see whose shall it be. And here it is. This was to fulfill scripture. Four more times we're going to see this. Fulfill scripture, fulfill scripture, fulfill scripture. Now here's the thing. This is not the first time it fulfilled scripture. When it says that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, that fulfilled actually, um, let me find it, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. It says that he was numbered with the transgressors. Them dividing their, his clothes up, when it says there, it, says it fulfilled the scripture in verse uh, 24. It says, it fulfilled scriptures which says, they divided my garments among them and my clothing they cast lots. That fulfills Psalm chapter 22, verse 12. In verse 28, if you look at verse 28, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing all that, all that was now finished, 
said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. Okay? Um, that fulfills uh, Psalm chapter 69, verse 21. It says, For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Okay? That scripture would have been written hundreds of years before it would have happened. And here's what Jesus says to fulfill scripture I thirst, and a jar full of sour wine stood there. And they, I love that, just stood there. On purpose? Absolutely. Okay, not a coinkadink. And they put a sponge in it and, and, and held it to his mouth. It says, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But again, the thirst fulfilled scripture. Look at verse 31. It was a day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate for their legs might be broken. And the reason why they broke the legs was you got to remember what a crucifixion was. The only thing that held them on the cross was two nails in the hands and a nail in the feet. And, and what crucifixion did was when they hung, after being flogged, they couldn't breathe. Asphyxiation was usually the cause of death. Okay, So the way, way someone crucified was they would push up on that nail with their feet. Now think about Jesus' body as we talked about the flogging. His back would have been completely ripped open. So on that cross, how many of you know it wasn't a fine piece of pine? All right? It would have been very splintery, um, barkish. And so when Jesus pushed up on that cross to get a, a gasp of breath, his back would have ripped up and down that cross. So to break the legs means that the legs are broken. You don't have the power to lift up, which would cause the death to be even quicker because you, you, you would suffocate, okay? So they're like, break the legs, man. We got to get this thing over. We, we don't, and again, we see the Jews trying to be churchy, crucifying Jesus with no evidence, and here they are like, oh, we got to keep the Sabbath, so we got to get these guys off the cross. But they want to break the legs. It says, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he had already been dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier pierced his side with a spear, and the other one came out, with, and what came out was blood and water. If you look at verse 36, it says, These things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That actually fulfills like in the book of Exodus when it says the Passover lamb, that, the, la that the, the, the bones of a Passover lamb could not be broken. Jesus was the Passover lamb. And so to fulfill those verses, none of his bones in his body were broken. So when he already died on the cross, the soldiers are like, don't break his legs. That's pointless or he's already dead. And then, and then it says, and they will look upon him with the one they speared. That fulfills Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. All right? All these verses are being fulfilled at the end of Jesus' life. Now, here's the great, the awesome part about this. These Romans did not understand that they were being pawns in doing this. All right? They didn't understand that they were being used in the big picture because these Romans were ordered by Pilate, break the legs. Let's end this thing. They break thief number one. They break thief number two's legs. They come to Jesus like, oh, he's already dead. There's no sense in doing it. They disobeyed a direct order. What, what should have they have done? They weren't doctors. They weren't up there going, no, he's dead. What should have they have done? Broken the legs. Just because. But they didn't. 
But one thief goes, oh, let's just make sure, and pierces his side, fulfilling Scripture without even realizing it. You see, everything Jesus did fulfilled Scripture. That's why, loved ones, we can put our faith in Christ as the true Messiah. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because so many scriptures have been fulfilled at his first coming, at his crucifixion, and at his second coming. The Bible's full of of, of prophecy about Jesus. No other religious leader is prophesied like that. Only Jesus. That's why we can believe in him and trust him. Here's the fifth thing the end of Jesus' life, it created a new family. It created a new family. Look at verse, uh, back at 25. It says, in, um, by, but standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. There's a name for it if you want to name somebody. And Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that would have been John, Standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took, his, took her to his own home. So John takes Mary, the mother of Jesus, back home. What Jesus is doing here, he's commissioning John to become the spiritual leader over Mary now. Because at this time, scholars believe that Joseph would have been dead. And none of Jesus' brothers have come to faith yet. They don't come to faith until after the resurrection. So Mary is now husbandless. His, her other children aren't, aren't saved and aren't believers. So he looks at John and says, you become the spiritual leader of my family. I'm commissioning you. You're taking my spot. And that becomes a little family. That little family in about 40 days becomes another family. Do you know what that family becomes? Anybody? The church. Because if you, let me, let me read uh, John, um, Acts chapter 1 to you. After Jesus ascends into heaven, it says this. Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem. And when they had entered, they went back up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, the disciple that was just there. James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot. And Judas, the son of, of James. All of these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So you have this little family. John, take, take, my, take my mom with you. That's your new family. And in 40 days, it becomes a new family, the church. So guess what you belong to as a believer in Jesus Christ? That family, the family of God, the church. And that's what was created at this moment. A new family becomes a new family, which encapsulates the whole world for the rest of the time. We belong to that family, the family of God, the church. The sixth thing is that it accomplished the redemption of all people. Hang in there, folks. I'm almost done here. It accomplished the redemption of all people. Look at verse 28 through 30. Again, After knowing all that was now finished, Jesus knew everything's accomplished now. In verse 30, it says, when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. That word finished comes from the Greek word um, tetelestai. 
And it means to be completely finished, fully accomplished, paid in full. And the idea of being fully accomplished, it means to have no need to repeat it. It is done once for all, completely finished. So when Jesus says it is finished, he's talking about the redemption of mankind. He's like, my job is done. I've come to seek and save the lost. I come to build a bridge. I come to take the curse away. I come to take the sin of of humanity. I've come to be able to give people eternal life. And I've done that. It is done. It is finished completely. That's why when you read Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10, it keeps saying one thing, that the blood of goats and animals and things could not, it it couldn't do anything for sin. So you had priests doing all these duties day after day, killing animals day after day, trying to think this is going to take away our sin. And it never did. It couldn't take away sin. The death of an animal could not take away sin. Just like our works cannot take away sin. The only thing that takes away sin once for everybody is right here. Jesus dying on the cross, it is finished. He bows his head, and even when you read the text, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. All the way to his death, Jesus said, nobody takes this thing from me. He gave up his spirit. It's like, here it is, Father. I'm done with it. I'm coming home. But he, this end of his life, accomplished redemption for mankind once for all. You don't have to keep trying to work it out. You don't have to, you know, again, think about it. Just think of your own self. Does the enemy ever tell you you haven't done enough? Do you ever have that sense of like, well, I know I'm saved, but, but I feel like I need to do a little more. Do you ever feel unworthy? Do you ever feel like you haven't accomplished enough? You got to do a little more. You got to be a little more religious. You got to be like, man, if I just, how many people have ever been baptized more than once? Thinking, I'll, I'll get baptized again. Maybe that will help. No, no. If you know Jesus Christ by faith, you have accepted him truly into your life. You are fully redeemed. He paid the price for your sin. He paid the price for your curse. If you know him as your savior, you are redeemed, saved forever. You don't have to try to help God out. You you can't do a little bit more. You can't, well, I'll just try. No, if you know Christ, you got to put this thing in your, like nailing the coffin shut and quit opening it and drive that nail deep going, I am saved. I know Jesus as my Savior, and I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to try to impress God. I'm not going to have to show him my resume. My only resume is Jesus Christ paid my debt. And it has been paid in full. And he accomplished that by saying, it is finished. And this is the last point, the most important point, I think. It established the avenue of faith. Look at verse 35. He who saw it, John's talking about himself. He who saw it has borne witness. 
His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. And here it is, that you also may believe. You see, John's like, man, I have seen this thing, and I know it. It is real. It is the truth. I'm not lying. I testify to it. I'm a, I saw it with my own eyes, and I know this is real. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. John's like, I believe this thing more than anything. And he goes, here's why I'm telling you this. So you'll believe. You see, when Jesus, is, Jesus died on the cross, when his life came to an end, it, it, it triggered something. It, it moved to the, to, the, to, to the apostles, and they begin to write. They write the scriptures, and what takes place is they believe, and then they begin to write so others will believe. And then it went from the disciples to that early church, to, G, to Peter preaching to 3,000 people, and then it just it spread like a wildfire. And that truth of who Jesus is spread like a wildfire through the first 100 years, through the first 1,000 years, all the way to the day. It is still spreading like a fire that, the, that Jesus died on the cross. It, it, it provides an avenue of belief, of faith. All of this that Jesus did on the cross means absolutely nothing if you don't believe him. There are people who sit in churches, have sat in church their entire life, and they have heard the gospel story, they have heard the, the crucifixion, they have sat through Easter services, but something in their heart still says, I don't know if I really believe it or not. They've never come to the place where they have acknowledged Christ alone as Savior. There are people who still, they hear and they're like, ah, I just, I, I think I can get there myself. I think I'll be okay. That's why Jesus says that there are going to be so many people who will stand before him. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Well, but, but I went to church. I never knew you. I sat through Easter services. I never knew you. I listened to, to, to messages. I never knew you. You see, you've got, in order for Jesus to know you, you've got to know him. And the way you come to know Christ is not through just hearing a message. Because you can hear this stuff all day long, and it goes in one ear right out the other. It's got to go into your ear, into your mind, into your heart, to your will. And it's got to transform all of that. Because it's got to change the way you think. Because you got to start thinking differently. I'm a sinner. I'm under a curse, man. I'm going to be separated from God because I'm a sinner. You got to think differently. You got to believe differently. You got to stop believing, like, you know what? I, I, I'm okay. I'm a good person. I've done okay. I'm, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I'll be okay. You got to move from believing I'm okay to I'm not okay. I'm an unworthy sinner and I don't deserve anything. And you got to start believing and you got to believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sin. And then you got to change your will. You got to come to the place where you actively move from where you are to say, Jesus, come into my life, be my Savior. And your will changes. And you start to say, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm telling you, if you don't know Christ as Savior, your personal savior. I say this all, whether you're a teenager, a young adult, in your 50s, in your 80s, it doesn't matter. If you have never accepted Christ as your savior, you are still under a curse. 
And if you were to die today, you will die in your sin and be eternally separated from God. Jesus died on a cross not to make you religious. He died on a cross not to give you information. He died on a cross to break the curse of sin and to be your savior. But you've got to do it by faith and believe what the scriptures say about him and accept him into your life. If you've never done that, I encourage you, you need to do that today and come and talk to me. But this is what Jesus did. The end of his life provided all that for you and for me. Amen? Why don't we stand and let's close. I'm just going to close this in prayer. Father, we praise you, we thank you, and we just exalt you, Jesus, because of what you did. Your, in the end of your life provided so many things for us. It did so many things for us. And Jesus, I just pray this morning that if there would be anyone here today who has never accepted you as Savior, maybe there's people in here who are, they, they think they're religious, they're, they're good, but they've never stepped into that faith zone. They've never come to that place where they said, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Savior. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just keep working in their heart and even after their, this service that they would come and talk to me. So, Father, we just thank you, we just praise you, and we just give you the glory and the honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.